Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. I have no doubt that blockchain, the technology behind most cryptocurrencies, smart contracts, NFC and the like, is one of the most important inventions so far in the 21st century. This is of particular interest to me as I advise several fintechs and other companies related to the crypto space. Texas is rapidly becoming a key player in this market. Crypto miners, like those operating the systems that validate blockchain transactions, have been moving to Texas due to our low power prices, available land for server farms, and our accommodating atmosphere. More and more of the companies here, whether they be in health tech, manufacturing, fintech, or other industries, leverage blockchain technologies to secure the transactions done on their systems. Today, we're going to take a deeper look into this part of the ecosystem and try to better understand where the industry is going in Austin and in Central Texas. Joining us is Lee Brasher, the president and founder of the Texas Blockchain Council. Lee teaches at DBU, and he's also a captain in the U.S. Army Reserves, working as a tech scout for the 75th Innovation Command that supports the Army Futures Command. Lee has a master's in international relations from St. Mary's University, and he's completing his Ph.D. at UT Dallas. He makes Richardson, Texas his home with his wife, Becca, and their two daughters. Lee, welcome to Austin Next. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Definitely. Thank you for being here. Before we get started, I wanted just to say thank you for your service. It's always kind of really important to us to working with our active duty and our veterans. Before we kind of get into your blockchain uh, stuff, what exactly is the 75th Innovation Command? I didn't even know there was such a thing. That's a great question. The, the 75th Innovation Command is a Army Reserve unit that seeks to capitalize on some of the talents and skills in some of the Army's Army Reserve uh, officers and, and senior enlisted personnel who have civilian careers that place them in uh, close proximity to the, the innovation, the technology, the, the uh, emerging tech that's coming out of uh, you know, some of these tech hubs like Austin, Dallas, Houston, we've got teams in Chicago and the Valley and, and on the East Coast, uh, so that the Army can be uh, connected closely with um, emerging tech for uh, defense applications. Ever-changing landscape. No, that's great. So let's kind of get into it a bit. So can you describe the Texas Blockchain Council and what its goals are? The Texas Blockchain Council is a nonprofit industry association, similar to like a Chamber of Commerce. Our uh, goals are to see Texas become the jurisdiction of choice for blockchain innovation and to uh, create business synergies, connections, business development opportunities for our member companies. We have about 65 member companies, about 140 individuals total that are, that are members of the association and you know, growing, growing very rapidly. We're a young organization uh, founded about a year and a half ago. And Part of the public policy piece of our of our industry association is we also help to research and write legislation for consideration from legislators, and uh, we were able to help to do some research on two pieces of legislation that passed this last session, the 87th session that ended in May. Uh, Governor Abbott signed those on uh, in June, and they'll go into effect on September 1st, here in about two weeks. That's great. 
one of the questions, I want to take a real big million foot level, right? The, the language and concepts of, of blockchain are really starting to get into the mainstream, but I think there's probably, you know, I've thought a little bit about it, but, you know, there's a, a lack of good definitions. So can you talk, walk us through what's the difference between blockchain, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, Ethereum, NFTs? I know there's lots of these kind of jargon terms floating out there, but anything you can kind of do to help set the stage? Yes. Uh, I, I like to, whenever I have conversations with people about what blockchain is, I start at that level. I mean, it's really important to go uh, from a 30,000 foot view. So the way I think about it is it, blockchain is the next iteration on double entry accounting. The way that we uh, assign who owns what in a ledger system. So that's been around for 500 years when Luca Pacioli developed it in the Renaissance. Uh, it enabled transactions to take place over time and space when people didn't know each other, didn't trust each other, uh, since they used the bookkeepers and debits and credits, and the financiers typically handle the books. That's evolved to where we are today. It's, it's much more uh, digital and, and complex, but it's still double entry accounting, and, it's, and you still pay hefty fees to middlemen that create those trust layers. So what blockchain technology does through clever code and through public-private key cryptography is it creates a, a ledger system that enables these transactions to take place without expensive intermediaries. Uh, and the first you know, iteration of this, the invention of all this was with the creation of Bitcoin in 2009 by Satoshi Nakamoto, a pseudonymous a person that everyone's, most people these days have, have at least heard that name before. Uh, it's a pseudonymous, I mean, it could have been a person or a group of people, honestly. And, and they were, wrote the first white paper that really outlined this peer-to-peer -peer, uh, transaction platform and, and the rest is history. So, and, and we're still living that history. We're still in early, early innings. Can you, uh, and I think what you just talked about with uh, you know, the legislation that just passed, can you briefly describe the history of blockchain in Texas and how long has it been here? How to get started? And really, what are the important milestones we should be thinking about? Texas was initially pretty uh, apprehensive to, to, to jump in. You know, I think if you had five years ago looked at the states that were really um, at the forefront of this, it would have been California and Wyoming. Um, and, you know, there's, a, there's some states that were definitely uh, antagonistic towards crypto and blockchain uh, and Bitcoin, New York being one of those states. You know, most people don't know, know this, but Wyoming actually invented the LLC. Uh, Delaware stole it, and now everyone incorporates in Delaware, but Wyoming invented it. So Wyoming has done a ton of great work with some legislative frameworks that provide clarity, regulatory clarity for blockchain firms there. So what we've done in Texas over the last two years is um, taken some best practices from Wyoming and some you know, other, other uh, folks in, in DC, like the Blockchain Association, the Digital Chamber of Commerce. And we put the, the size and dynamism of the Texas economy behind that. Texas is the ninth largest economy in the world, uh, larger than Canada and Russia, if it was, you know, just to be considered a country. So we really think that Texas is the place that this innovation should be happening. Of course, it's going to be happening all across the world, but we want to house it here because the dynamism of places like Austin and Dallas and Houston, um, some of the largest you know, tech hubs, energy hubs, banking hubs in the world are here in Texas. So you know, the, the two pieces of legislation that we worked on, you know, we've been working on them for about a year, and it really kicked off this excitement about Texas. And, and the, the most important things 
for the Texas ecosystem have happened in the last six months. And it's policy related and it's also related to Bitcoin mining. So I'll, I'll say the policy stuff first, then I'll jump over to Bitcoin mining. You know, these two pieces of legislation that passed, one of them in particular created a legal framework around uniform commercial code. And that's House Bill 4474. Now that, that establishes, defines what a cryptocurrency is, what a virtual currency is like Bitcoin. What does it mean to control it? And how do you perfect a security interest in it? That's just legalese for saying, if I have a Bitcoin and I want to loan it to you, how do you, or I want to give it to you as collateral and you're lending me US dollars, how do you perfect your security interest in that Bitcoin? And so the, the law provided some clarity for large institutions to become more involved in cryptocurrency because it became clear how it would be adjudicated if there was ever a dispute. And so you really need business law to, you know, the Uniform Commercial Code to be the backbone of that. On the, on the policy front, the other thing that was really important was actually back on June 10th when the Texas Banking Commissioner, Mr. Charles Cooper, he and his legal team outlined a framework that said that Texas chartered banks can custody crypto assets. So if you have Bitcoin and you don't want to self-custody and, you know, on an exchange or or uh, you know, self-custody in a wallet or a code storage somewhere or a paper wallet, you could actually custody that in your bank. I wouldn't recommend that. I would recommend self-custody, but maybe some people aren't as comfortable with you know, the, the ways of custodying your cryptocurrency. So they prefer that their bankers do it for them. And perhaps somebody who is uh, not you know, familiar with the technology or maybe they're their, their son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter are the ones that got them into crypto and they'd prefer to just have their banker custody that for them. Uh, so that was big news back in June. Uh, and then on the mining side, cryptocurrency mining, Texas is becoming the hub for Bitcoin mining. One, because China banned Bitcoin mining about three months ago. And that was huge news because they accounted for about 55% of the total Bitcoin hash rate uh, a year ago. Um, and, and the price of energy in, in Texas is better than anywhere in the world. We've got, we're just incredibly blessed with energy. I'd love to talk a little bit more about how Bitcoin mining can be beneficial to the Texas grid if you guys are open to jumping into that conversation now. Absolutely. One of the things that I heard were that the large miners had arrangements with ERCOT so that when ERCOT needed the power, they would instruct the miners to discontinue work, but in return for that, they would pay them for the, for the power that wasn't being used. That's exactly right. And that's the beauty here. Uh, people hear that Bitcoin mining takes up a lot of energy, and it does, but what it does is it soaks up unused energy that's not otherwise going to be making it to your, your house or my house or the hospital down the street, right? We're, we're incredibly blessed in Texas to have this energy abundance. But what we don't have is the, enough transmission capacity to get that energy from where it's being generated to um, the population centers of Texas. And we also have challenges with intermittency with our, our abundant wind and solar. So what Bitcoin mining does is solves both of those problems. Bitcoin mines are just data centers. They can be located anywhere. Uh, you can put them out next to a solar field or next to a natural gas plant or next to uh, stranded gas or flared gas that's otherwise being wasted and use that flared gas to put into a genset and generate electricity to mine Bitcoin. So it creates economic 
opportunities in places that there otherwise was not opportunity. And the really industrial scale mines do exactly what you said, Michael. They, they push their power back into the grid when demand starts to peak. So for example, that when, in the winter storm that we had in February, uh, you know, Yuri, as soon as the Bitcoin, as soon as demand started to peak and people were trying to turn their, their heaters up, the Bitcoin miners in Texas all turned off. Uh, they did it for two reasons. One, it's the right thing to do. Uh, and, and also they turned off within five seconds, by the way. They can power these things up and down within five seconds. It takes peaker plants, you know, six hours, which really doesn't help with the duck curve. You know, they, they do that in five seconds. They did it because of the right thing to do. And they also did it because they had a profit motive to do so. So I love when the free market aligns with, you know, the incentives of everybody else. And there's a, there's a free market profit motive to do the right thing. And also they just want to do it because their communities needed the power. ERCOT will create these, these power purchase agreements with them. And they're able to, you know, use this power when demand is low. And if there comes a point where ERCOT says, hey, in about an hour, we're going to hit peak demand. We really appreciate if you sell that power back in the grid, then they push that power back into the grid and get paid, uh, you know, get paid uh, for that power. You talked a little bit about the duck curve. And for most people that don't know, that's how we use electricity over the course of a day. Now we use so much in the afternoons, or at least we used to use a lot in the afternoons when people came home from work. I haven't seen how much of that uh, has changed now that people are working from home. But one of the questions I've had about that is, does the power usage curve, whatever it is today, align with the transaction validation curve that the miners are taking advantage of? That's a great question. The network is so large that it doesn't really matter. Okay. So if the Texas miners choose to turn off for a few minutes, the, the, the Bitcoin validation network and the miners all across the world will pick up the slack. Okay. Uh, so it doesn't, it doesn't affect the, the block times, doesn't affect the transaction volume. Uh, it, you know, it may provide some extra revenue and block rewards to miners in other parts of the world that aren't off during that time. But the Texas Bitcoin miners are okay with that because they're making more revenue selling their power back to the grid because the Texas grid is on a free, you know, it's, it's, it's deregulated. So it's the price floats with demand and supply. Um, and so when demand is high, the power price is high. They're actually making more money selling power back into the grid than they would be mining Bitcoin. Okay. Let's, we've talked in general about miners, but I want to get a little more specific as we delve into what Texas looks like in the, the crypto and blockchain space. What are the companies that we should know that are established? And what are the companies we should be looking for that are startups in, the, in this space? Yeah, I, that's a great question. And I could probably go on for 10 minutes on the answer. So I'll try to keep it brief. You know, folks can go to our website and see a bunch of our member companies that are operating in the space. It's texasblockchaincouncil.org. If they want to meet you know, the CEOs of these companies in person, we're actually hosting a summit in Austin on October 8th. The Austin, that's actually the Texas Blockchain Summit. And you're, I'm assuming a lot of your audience is in, in Austin or in other hubs of innovation across the country. They may want to come in for this. It's going to be a great opportunity to meet some of these you know, CEOs of some of these innovative companies. But I, I'd love to just talk about these companies in three different verticals. You've got the, the miners, data center miners, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and others, predominantly Bitcoin in Texas. 
you've got the uh, financial services companies, and then you've got the the blockchain for uh, medical, or I will say other, right? You know, the supply chain or medical or folks who are using this technology not in the crypto space. As far as supply chain or as far as um, financial services companies goes in Austin, the the name that you'll want to know is Unchained Capital. It's a it's a firm in Austin, based in Austin, that helps with uh, crypto custody and allows people to uh, retain custody of their own cryptographic keys. So they're self-custodying their wallets, but they have some really neat software solutions that make it possible for anybody to do that, even those without a technology background. Uh, they also have some lending products and some other financial services products. So they're a, they're a great company there in Austin. Um, I was actually down in Austin last night. I'm in Dallas right now, but I was in Austin last night at a, at a meetup that they hosted at their um, uh, their offices, and they had, I'd say, about 200 people there. It was it was a great turnout. Um, and then there's several other financial services companies. Uh, NYDIG is a, a big one, obviously, out of New York, but they're, uh, a lot of their clients are in Austin, and they're coming here to uh, help a lot of these banking, their banking partners custody crypto. So that's a big one. On the mining side, some of the big names, uh, you know, Riot is a publicly traded mining company that that uh, owns Windstone. They're they're doing mining here in Texas. Argo Blockchain is here. Core Scientific uh, and Blockcap are, are large firms here. You know, you've got um, Skybox Data Centers, which they're they're a data center firm, but they also help with uh, Bitcoin mining. And then, you know, on the on the third vertical that I mentioned, the uh, blockchain for supply chain or blockchain for medical, Dell Medical is actually doing some interesting work with with blockchain around digital identity and, and medical records. You've got companies, the, the big four accounting firms, plus Grant Thornton, of course, Deloitte and uh, and Accenture. They are helping a lot of these supply chain companies, big third party logistics providers track the provenance of goods on, on, uh, on blockchain. And then, of course, IBM has Hyperledger. Uh, IBM's got large offices in Austin, as you guys are, are well aware of. So I, I could continue for, for a long time, but those are some of the names that come to mind immediately. Okay. How would you describe the maturity of the blockchain industry, both in Central Texas as well as in the rest of Texas? It is maturing, um, much more mature than it would have been a few years ago where uh, people uh, maybe thought the only people that were into crypto were 22-year-old, you know, folks, at, you know, on the, like hackers on their computer or something like that. Uh, it, it is far more mature than, than that. I mean, there's, there's real money in the space. Fidelity, you know, JP Morgan, some of the hedge funds that, uh, that have been involved in the space in the last 24 months. When you start getting that kind of money, you know, seven, eight figure investments in the companies uh, and, and larger, actually some significantly larger than that, you really start to bring in the professional uh, audience. And so I would say I hosted a meetup in, in Dallas a couple nights ago and everybody there were, there were accountants, there were attorneys, they were private equity guys, they were, you know, oil and gas folks, uh, energy, energy brokers, it was very professional. It was almost like an, you know, like you would go to like an accounting or or a, uh, a legal conference or something like that. Uh, everybody's wearing suits, and uh, now you can still find the, you know, the meetups that are that are uh, some of the 
the Bitcoin OGs, as I as I'll call them, like uh, the uh, the old school, the, the the originals. You know, they're they're a little bit more, uh, you know, will, willing to to let their hair down, wear a t-shirt to a meetup, and uh, you know, speak a little bit more frankly about the space and about you know the the innovation that's happening. You mentioned a couple of interesting applications. You talked about Dell Med and their diving into, if you will, um, the use of blockchain as part of their digital ID and medical records. You talked about supply chains and the ability to use blockchain to prove providence. If I were running a company in another a consumer products good industry or uh, the media industry or the aerospace industry, where would I want to get started with blockchain? It's a great question. It really depends on the industry, but I, I'll tell you the thing that you want to look for is uh, a consortium of entities and business players, business actors that are operating together that have a need to have shared information and, and shared databases that, that shouldn't be siloed. For example, uh, the provenance piece the provenance of, of uh, lettuce. So you're, you're worried that, you know, you want to be able to track, um, you know, salmonella on lettuce or, or what's uh, E. coli, I guess would be a better example for lettuce. You're wanting to track that from farm to table or really from farm to the grocery store. So if you've narrowed it down to, hey, this grocery store, there was an outbreak, rather than like removing lettuce on HEBs, you know, I used to, I grew up in Austin, so I know HEBs, like the, the store there in Austin, everyone goes to buy their produce at, like for the entire city of Austin, you don't want to, you know, remove produce, like millions of dollars worth of waste. You can actually use blockchain to track, backwards track, like, okay, what, even down to the truck that this came on from this farm, uh, from this truck to this store, and that's just not possible right now. So you can, you can track the provenance of goods. And the, re, the really the thing that you want, because blockchain is not a panacea. Traditional databases can solve most uh, of these kinds of problems. But if you have a consortium or a group of companies that need to really be able to see into data, but they don't necessarily trust each other, you know, you have the third-party logistics provider and the, uh, the farm and the perhaps the warehouse and then the, the store, uh, and and there's there's oftentimes even many more business partners in that in that chain, and, and this is not just for supply chain. This applies to many other vertical industry verticals. But we're we're kind of on the supply chain analogy right now, so I'll keep with that. Uh, they need to be able to share data with each other, but in the current in the current model, um, they they have an incentive to keep some of that data private, and to really not have visibility into. Uh, what everybody else is doing. You don't want to give away uh, your trade secret. If you're the third-party logistics provider and you're giving away all this data, then maybe Walmart says, well, we're going to use somebody else because we see all this data. We, we understand your, your uh, business model and somebody else is doing it more efficiently or we'll do it ourselves because we understand. Uh, so they can provide um, you know, access to information that uh, was otherwise siloed. Uh, it will never blockchain will never be a use case if you're just if you're if your company is operating solely internally and you're wanting to track things on blockchain that's not the right use case you'll just use a distributed you just use a database for that it's only if you're operating with other companies 
And there may be a business relationship there, but it's not like the kind of business relationship where you trust them 100%, where you're just going to give them all your data uh, or you give them all the information about what you do and how you do it. So we go kind of looking forward. What are the challenges that the blockchain uh, industry faces in Texas and in general? Well, the infrastructure bill that the Senate uh, passed a couple of weeks ago is a, is a big challenge for our industry. There was very broad language written into that bill by, we, we suspect by folks in the administration uh, who were uh, wanting to get more visibility into blockchain transactions. And that's certainly a good thing. I think most players in the industry want, you know, they want to operate as a traditional business. They want to have KYC and AML. KYC is know your customer. AML is anti-money laundering. They want to uh, pay taxes at the proper rate. Um, but there was really a disconnect with what the language was in the infrastructure bill around cryptocurrency. People may or may not be aware it caused a pretty big stir. The cryptocurrency industry actually held up the infrastructure bill for several days because of, there was confusion about two pages uh, on this massive bill uh, that related to cryptocurrency. And what they had done is they defined the word broker very broadly. And brokers have an increased reporting requirement to the IRS around transactions and around uh, amounts and values and you know the, trend, the actors in the transaction. And when you, when, they, when you use the kind of language that they use in the infrastructure bill, it is possible that broker could be defined to include uh, software developers who are writing code for digital wallets or Bitcoin miners or you know, even individuals that were interacting in, in the space in some, in some capacities like in DeFi. Uh, DeFi stands for decentralized finance. So it was really too broad. And several senators tried to propose a uh, an amendment, and that's where the, the tension came in. The, the, the White House and the administration, the IRS and Treasury, really just wanted to, to ram this through, and they did. Uh, and the, the amendment actually almost passed. It was uh, Wyden, Toomey, and Lummis, bipartisan amendment, three, three senators. And there was a senator from Alabama who objected to the amendment being included, not because he objected to the amendment, but uh, because he wanted to include uh, more, more defense spending in the infrastructure bill. And as soon as he tried to attach that rider to the amendment, then uh, Senator, the senator from Vermont, Senator um, uh, Sanders, objected, and it, it basically blew up the amendment. So now that has gone to the House, um, and we're, we're fighting the good fight there in the House to try to, to try to clarify the language. Again, not so that cryptocurrency can be unregulated, so that it can be regulated intelligently. And so we don't push this innovation offshore. The, the crypto industry used to be the Wild West, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago, there was a lot of criminal activity that took place on, the, on, the, on these uh, networks, you know, on, on the Bitcoin network. And your audience will be familiar with that. And that maybe is the only thing that they've heard about crypto is that it was used by drug dealers. But they may not be aware that last year, the CIA director said that after studying um, the Bitcoin blockchain and, and other uh, cryptos that he believes that there's more nefarious activity in the traditional banking sector than there is in crypto now. Uh, just because the Department of Justice and the FBI have partnered with on-chain analytics firms to be able to track down these bad actors. You know, you, you notice that the, the uh, ransom money for the, the pipeline hack was, was actually recovered by the FBI and the Department of Justice. 
uh, through a, a warrant uh, on a server uh, because the uh, the hackers had stored some some of those funds on a on a hot wallet that was connected to the internet. So very very complex stuff. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. <laughs> You're fighting the good fight there. It sounds like. Um, so we always like to kind of end our uh, podcast with kind of the central question that we're asking. So Lee, what's next, Austin? Austin is becoming the hub of innovation for blockchain. Firms are moving to Austin left and right uh, for for several reasons. You know these these hubs of innovation they feed off of themselves. So there's sort of a self fulfilling prophecy. As Austin becomes more of a hub, a tech hub, and a hub for innovation, it will it will grow and grow exponentially. The pandemic really struck uh, New York and San Francisco and the Bay Area very very hard. And Austin wasn't, you know, it was hit, but it wasn't hit as hard as those areas were. And so the tech talent and the venture capital and private equity that's moving here from those places is making Austin on par or or a near peer to to the Valley and to New York. Of course, uh, not by population size by any means, but as far as a hub of innovation where venture capital wants to go and where entrepreneurs want to go. Um, And it actually helps in in the crypto industry that Texas has a favorable regulatory climate, great business taxes, um, low energy costs for them on the mining side. So you're, you're seeing miners move their headquarters to Texas. You're seeing entrepreneurs come here to raise capital. You know, used to, you only went to the Valley for FinTechs to raise capital. Um, and now you're seeing people to come to Dallas and Houston and Austin to raise capital, which is, is a great thing. So what's next for Austin? Um, a booming decade. Innovation. Uh, that's what we like to hear. Well, Lee, this has been extremely educational. I appreciate the time and thank you for coming on. Gentlemen, it was great. I appreciate you having me. We'd love to have you guys out at the summit on October 8th in Austin. Maybe you guys can come and interview some of the uh, CEOs of these companies there. Sounds great. So, what's next, Austin? We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast catcher, leave us a review, and let your colleagues know about us. This will help us grow the podcast and continue bringing you unique interviews and insights. Thanks again for listening and see you soon.